Chapter 4, June 1969, age 14. Robert looked down both ends of Herkheimer Street with a cautious eye and then made his way through the darkness to the Oldsmobile idling in front of the empty lot where neighborhood kids played football. When he got up to the driver's window, he pulled out some bills folded over, double-checking to make sure no one was around to see the transaction go down. Hey, Blaze, Robert said, handing him the money. Blaze took the money, examining it under the light of the nearby lamppost. What you got here? Eighty bucks. You take your cut yet? Robert shook his head. The man named Blaze unfolded the bills and produced a single $20 bill. 25%. And you sold them all? Every last black cat. And no hassle from the cops? No. Good, Blaze said as he counted the rest of the money. He laughed. Money's going to be good even after the fourth. He finished counting. Hey, Robert was startled by Blaze's sudden pronouncement of his name and flinched. Blaze didn't notice. How about them Mets? You think they have a shot this year? Robert looked down the road again. Oh yeah, for sure. Seaver is pitching like a champ and they're finally swinging the bats. Blaze laughed. Well, don't get your hopes too high, kid. Put your money on football. I like the Jets. I think they have a chance to make the playoffs this year. As long as Namath stays healthy, says Robert. You're right about that. That guy can rack up some yardage. Yep. Blaze studied Robert for a few seconds and then said, I got a shipment of Italian knits coming in a few days. You think you can help me get rid of them? Robert perked up. You bet. Good. In the meantime, I'll bring you some more fireworks. Be here in the morning, 10 o'clock. Sure thing, Blaze. Blaze rolled up the window. The tires of the olds screeched as he sped down the street and disappeared around the corner. Robert turned and headed in the direction from where he came, where several of the members of the F&R waited for him at the street's edge. The faces of the gang had changed since Robert's induction a few years earlier. Marty Iacocca, Vinnie Gatti, and James Augustus had either moved out of the neighborhood or had turned their interests to girls and cars. Joey Iacocca, Jamesy e. Reed, Alley Boy, and Robert's brother Frankie still remained and added to the gang were Robert's best friend, Angelo Sali, Peter Petrali, and a couple other kids. That night, all of them were there except Frankie. There was no formal declaration regarding who the leader of the gang was, but over the last few years, Robert had forged a reputation as a crazy kid who loved to fight. That reputation earned him the respect of the other gang members who willingly followed him into battle. As he approached, he held up the 20. The others looked on in admiration. Tomorrow, sodas and candy bars, my treat. Why not now? Jamesy asked. Because it's your bedtime, that's why, said Joey. Jamesy swore at Joey, who ignored him. Besides, it's Robert's money. He can do with it what he wants, when he wants. Joey stood from the curb. Let's head on back. As they passed Eastern Parkway and came up to the apartment building where Robert lived, Joey pointed to a dark figure several buildings up. Hey, look, Robert, it's your favorite Puerto Rican. The Puerto Rican Joey was referring to was Juan Garcia, a businessman who owned a small store a few buildings down from where Robert lived. He and Robert butted heads when a ball hit the store window while the kids in the neighborhood were playing punch ball. The window didn't break, but Mr. Garcia scolded the kids. With his newfound boldness, Robert jawed back at him, and the two almost fought. Mr. Garcia was locking up for the night. As he turned, he saw the gang and paused. He said something in Spanish loud enough for all of them to hear. Robert flipped him off as he turned away to head to his home a few doors away. The F&R crew ducked into the alley near the store. I hate that old man, Robert said as he sat down in a crate against the wall. I know what you mean, Joey said. 
I don't know why he has to come over to our neighborhood to have a store. It's like he's rubbing it in our faces. Yeah. Robert's hatred for Mr. Garcia simmered inside of him. Not only was he hateful towards the FNR, he broke the unwritten rule of racial boundaries when he entered an Italian neighborhood for business. The gangs understood those boundaries. Why couldn't he? It was clear to them that he was being disrespectful. With that in mind, Robert stood. I changed my mind. I think I'm going to go to that old man's store and get something to drink now. Anybody with me? Alley Boy looked at Robert as if he were an idiot. He just locked up and went home. Robert looked at Alley Boy. There was no hiding his intentions. His expression said it all. Peter Petrolli, one of the newest members of the gang, shot up. You going to bust in? Shh! Keep it down, Robert signaled with his hands. He looked around at the rest of the crew. Who's in? Joey raised his hand. I'm in. I hate that old man as much as you. Me too, Peter added. I guess we all are, Alley Boy said as he looked at the ones who had yet to commit. Robert nodded, sensing redemption was in the making. The next day, the F&R gang was playing punch ball with Michael Cotillo, a longtime friend and some other neighborhood kids on Fulton Street, directly in front of the building that housed the apartment in which Robert's family lived. Robert was in the outfield with his eyes fixed on the hitter when Mr. Garcia approached him from behind. I know it was you who broke into my store last night, Mr. Garcia railed. Robert was startled by the angry voice. He turned around to see Mr. Garcia only three feet away with his hands on his hips. What? You break into my store, steal beer and soda. I know it's you. Robert smirked. You don't know nothing, old man. He turned around to join the game. I'm going to call the cops. Tell them it was you. Robert felt the heat rise from his neck and into his brain, effectively cutting off any sensibility. He turned to face Mr. Garcia again. You call the cops and I'll burn your place down. Mr. Garcia was taken aback by the sudden outburst from such a small kid. He pedaled backwards until he reached the sidewalk, turned and walked to his store several doors down. Yeah, that's what I thought, Robert said, jabbing a finger toward Mr. Garcia. By then, Peter and Alley Boy had eased over to Robert. What did he say to you? Alley Boy asked, glancing left and right. Does he know? He says he's going to call the cops, but he don't know nothing. Don't be so nervous. Maybe somebody saw us and told him. Alley Boy, just relax. Nobody saw us. He's just trying to get me to confess, that's all. I'm telling you, he ain't got nothing on us. With the game interrupted and the sun overhead, the boys went inside Joey and Peter's apartment building to cool off, just two doors down from Mr. Garcia's store. They sat along the hallway just outside of Joey and Peter's apartment. Hey, don't we fight the Bushwick boys tonight? Peter asked. Gang fights were a common summertime ritual among Brooklyn kids, one of the many ways the boys would combat boredom. The fights usually started with an exchange of words from bordering streets or in community areas such as Spinner Supermarket. If tempers were high enough, challenges would be made. Yeah, at six o'clock. We need to do something big this time, Joey said. Like what? I don't know. Just something that'll let them know we mean business. All the boys agreed, nodding their heads and nudging each other. So, Joey, got any ideas? Robert asked. No. Oh, great. You get us all worked up about something and then you got no idea. That's good. That's really good. I got an idea, Peter said. I was watching TV and saw these guys throwing gasoline bombs at the cops. When the bottles hit the ground, a big fireball blew up in front of the cops. What? Alley Boy said. Are you crazy? Yeah, he's crazy, Angelo said. Robert waved them off. No, that's perfect. Perfect? Yeah. I can see those guys running for their lives after we toss a few at them. It'll be an easy win. 
After all, it's about to be the fourth, and we need to show a little patriotism. The other boys laughed. Do we have stuff to make them? Alley boy said. Peter pointed behind him. There's beer bottles in the alley. I wonder where they came from, Robert said, inciting more laughter. I think I saw some rags out in the trash. Joey asked Robert, what about gasoline? Are you going to get it? He hesitated for a second. I ain't got no money. You got a 20, Alley Boy said. We all know that. He raised his eyebrows, looking at Robert. Oh, yeah. Robert dug into his pocket and pulled out the single bill. Gasoline wasn't exactly what he wanted to buy with the money, but it seemed like 50 cents was a small price to pay for the fun it would buy. You can take my bike, too. Robert nodded as he crammed the bill back into his pocket. Okay, you guys get all the bottles and rags while I'm gone. Around five o'clock, the F&R gang stepped out of Joey and Peter's apartment building and sat down on the stoop. <coughs> the fresh air was a relief since the fumes from the gasoline bombs lining the hallway inside had caused them all headaches. I ain't got a lighter, Robert said. My old man's got one in his drawer, Peter said. You can use it. The boys never saw the patrol car until it stopped in front of Mr. Garcia's store. Two cops got out. Mr. Garcia came out and met the cops on the sidewalk. They talked for a moment with Mr. Garcia pointing toward Robert and the rest of the gang. When they were done, Mr. Garcia went back to his store and the cops approached the boys. Hello, officers, Robert said. They both held identical poses, legs spread apart, both hands on the buckles of their utility belts. A couple of cowboys, that's for sure. Robert whispered to the group. They laughed quietly. The cops apparently were not in the mood for jokes. The one on the left spoke to Robert. Did you threaten to burn down this store over here? He pointed to Mr. Garcia's store. Robert smirked and shrugged. I ain't gonna burn down nobody's store. He says you threatened him this morning. Robert shook his head as if that was the most ridiculous thing he'd ever heard. Says he just rode by on a bicycle carrying a gas can. Is that true? Robert froze. He never intended to go through with his threat against Mr. Garcia, but now he realized he had just passed by the old man's store with a gallon of regular. What else was Mr. Garcia going to think? No, I ain't got no gasoline. Boy, the cops sniffed the air. I could blow up this whole block right now just by lighting a match. You boys reek of gasoline fumes. The other cop nudged his buddy. How about I take a look inside? You do that while I babysit these boys. He came out a few seconds later with one of the gasoline bombs and held it up. The other cop turned to Robert. That wouldn't happen to be yours, would it? No, sir. The cop motioned with his head. Where do you live? What? Robert protested. But I didn't. Tell me where you live or you'll have to come down to the station with me. Two weeks after he was busted, Robert, along with his distressed mother and tight-lipped father, appeared in family court before Judge Hardway. Instead of the tough guy persona he had learned to portray, Robert was genuinely scared, as evidenced by his trembling. Even though the courtroom was crowded with other teens and their parents, Robert was surprised to see two particular persons. One was the fire marshal, he added to Robert's nervousness, since he figured the judge called him as expert testimony for the case. The other was Alberto Davaccio. He stood up as Robert passed, first shaking his parents' hands and then holding Robert by his shoulders. He leaned in close. Just stick to your guns and you'll be okay. Got it? Robert nodded as Davaccio sat back down. The judge saw a few other cases before Robert was called. Two of the teens, one of which Robert knew, walked away from the judge's bench in tears, headed for juvenile detention. Robert thought of what it would be like locked up in jail, never seeing his parents or his friends or his brothers and sisters. His stomach knotted up as he feared he would face the same judgment. 
The judge was buried in the manila folder in front of him as Robert and his parents approached the bench. After a minute of silence, Judge Hardaway spoke. Robert Engel, you've been charged with assault and manufacturing and possession of an illegal weapon. He took off his reading glasses as he laid the folder down. He stared at Robert. How do you plead? Not guilty, sir. Judge Hardaway never took his eyes off of Robert. You will refer to me as your honor or judge from here on out. Understand? Robert tried to swallow, but his throat wouldn't cooperate. Yes, sir. I mean, yes, your honor. Robert felt as if he just added another nail to his coffin. The judge tapped the folder. Says here that you were on a stoop when the police officers approached you, that you smelled of gas. Why did you smell like gas? I had just got gas to mow my aunt's lawn. In Brooklyn? It's a very small yard, your honor. Robert heard snickering from the gallery. Everyone knew Brooklynites don't have lawns. Says here you threatened the store owner down the street. He said you were going to burn down the place. Is that true? No, your honor. Then why would the store owner say you said it? We play punch ball on the street in front of his store, and he doesn't like it. So he's just trying to get me into trouble. The judge nodded as he pursed his lips. And what about the Molotov cocktails the police officers found in the building? Did you make them? Molotov cocktails? Your Honor, I'm too young to drink alcohol. Robert heard more snickering from behind. Even the judge grinned a little. A Molotov cocktail is the name for a gasoline bomb made like the ones found in the building. Oh, the gasoline bombs. No, Your Honor, I had nothing to do with that. So you're telling me that even though the store owner said you threatened to burn down his store, and even though you smelled like gasoline, and even though the police officers found you on the stoop of the building in which the hallway was lined with Molotov cocktails, you had nothing to do with it. That's right, Your Honor. The judge stared through Robert, looking for the truth. He then asked Robert and his parents to step back and signaled for the fire marshal to approach the bench. The two conferred in voices too low for Robert to hear. After a few minutes, the fire marshal returned to his seat, and the judge called Robert and his parents back to the bench. I asked Fire Marshal Evans to come today so he could give me his expert opinion on this case. He cleared his throat. Mr. Engel, how old are you? Fourteen. The judge nodded. You do understand that the charges brought against you are very serious. Yes, Your Honor. And threatening to burn down someone's business is a stupid thing to do, even if you don't intend to follow through with the threat. Yes, Your Honor, it is. That's why I would never do it. The judge smirked. I'm not so sure, Mr. Engel. Personally, I think you're as guilty as sin. Robert noticed his mouth was very dry. He looked at the pitcher of water on the judge's bench. But, at best, the evidence is circumstantial. Between you and the store owner, it's his word against yours. No one else heard you make that threat. And no one saw you make the Molotov cocktails, nor were you actually found in possession of them. And even though a Molotov cocktail seems fairly easy to make, the fire marshal here seems to think you're too young to be able to make one, much less a dozen. So without any hard evidence, I have no choice but to dismiss your case. I release you to the custody of your parents. Robert's eyes grew wide in disbelief as his mother squeezed his shoulder. But, the judge pointed a finger at Robert. Robert's stomach flipped. If I ever see you in my court again, you can count on me tearing your case apart until I find something I can put you away with. And as for you two, he pointed to Robert's parents, keep a tighter leash on this kid. Robert's father placed a hand on Robert's shoulder. You can count on it. The two of them turned and exited the courtroom, Robert's mother close behind.
Going to be a lot of changes around our place, Robert's father said as he pushed his glasses up onto his nose. One is you're not going to get to hang out past dark. Second, you're going to... His father's voice faded as Robert's attention was drawn to a scene across the hallway outside the courtroom. He saw Alberto Davaccio walk over to a smiling Fire Marshal Evans and shake his hands. After a few words and a couple of pats on the arm, the two men parted. And for a brief moment, Robert was able to see the green bills in the fire marshal's right hand just before he put them into his pocket. Robert looked to Davaccio, who was about to enter the elevator. Davaccio smiled at him and winked.